Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're on the Mexico-US border, hearing about the pioneering work of uh, Augie Martin and Will Smith, and our interviewer is Feeney of uh, the On The Road Podcast. Back in April that I got a call from um, some friends and, and they were saying, hey, uh, obviously you've been seeing what's going on at the border. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And that came at a very critical time as I was watching the news like everyone else and just thinking, what is the response of the church to such an inflow of uh, immigrants into our country? So it was just a, the right time for me to get that call. And it was just obvious uh, God was moving. And so very quickly, we just said, hey, let's just get down there and see what God's doing. You know, let's just go down to the border and find out what's going on. So we did. We took a scouting trip down there in May, uh, the middle of May. And just to see what the reality was down there, to see what the opportunities were and to, to see for ourselves what was going on. And so we learned a lot very rapidly. You know, we just got down to the border uh, we went down to uh, Laredo area and Nueve, Laredo, and then also over to the Rio Grande Valley to McAllen. And, uh, you know, we, we couldn't really see a lot. You know, like everyone else, we were watching the news and, and we knew that there wasn't a lot of access to uh, people that were crossing the border on the northern side. But we actually crossed over into Mexico. And that was very interesting to get on that side of the border and to see people in shelters kind of staging and waiting uh, to cross the border and uh, just get to hear their stories, you know, and, and to, to ask them, you know, what, what brought you to this point? And that was very eye-opening, you know, when you start to hear some of the reasons that people are making that dangerous uh, trek from Central America, um, you know, you, you realize that there's some, um, you know, some, some really tragic stories in there and people are really trying to uh, find a better life. You know, they're, they're trying to escape poverty or, or persecution or, uh, or some kind of a trauma. And uh, so it was, it was really good to hear those stories and uh, to kind of lay the politics of that aside and just say, uh, you know, what, what's God doing in your life and, and why, why, are you, why are you attempting to do this? So there's a lot of great answers, a lot of interesting stories that came out of that. Um, but honestly, our task was pretty simple. We just prayed with people and uh, asked them, you know, how we could pray for them and shared the gospel with them and saw God do amazing things. So that was a scouting trip in May. Uh, at the end of May, there was a there was a meeting in um, Southern California, an SC meeting. And I just told stories about what I saw God doing and the opportunity there. And uh, very rapidly, a trip came together uh, to two guys, uh, some MPL uh, focused guys decided to go there and follow up on the work that we had done. And um, again, they started sharing in a camp. And uh, it was really amazing what, what they saw happen in terms of receptivity to the gospel. Let me let me tell you why it got my attention. Yeah. And I saw Will. The first time I saw Will there. Uh, and I've been working in Latin America all these years. And. God put in my heart during the pandemic to start working in the U.S. And when I saw him there, it's like, okay, that makes sense. If I if I can jump in the work, it makes sense because three years ago I was there, in the in the border, and I got in connection with a lady from Cuba. And three years later, I still in connection with her. She she lives in Miami, and I talked to her. Uh, so it's like, okay, now that I'm trying to focus in the U.S. 
USI, you know, if we can reach in the other side, then we can definitely keep on connect, keep engaged when they come through through this side in the US. So it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be, it can be amazing. It can be amazing work. So we went and follow up with the work that the other team before us went there to, to do. So they have two people that we're supposed to follow up uh, in, this, in the Mexico side, in the Reynosa side. In the, there is a plaza there, and there are tents there. It's a tent city, you know, mm-hmm. about 600 people living there. And we're supposed to find these people in the tents. So the way that we we made sure that we found it, uh, Joseph, that he was there before, he uh, created a WhatsApp group. A WhatsApp group with the with the people that, that they reach in the plaza. So in MPL Plaza, put all the people, and the conversation start. I like to break the ice. So usually, when you mention a food from the country, they like, yeah, you know. So I I said, well, let me try if there's any people from Honduras there. So I mentioned baleadas. It's a typical plate, and everybody start writing. Oh, baleadas! Yeah, yeah, we we can eat baleadas. We we need it right now. Uh, so that's how we started the conversation. When we got there, we already knew each other, you know, joking mm. in the WhatsApp group. Uh, and we went and follow up. First day, we follow up with the, these two people, uh, and we invited to a restaurant. Uh, but actually, they, they're not only two people. Now they were like eight people <laughs> with us uh, eating in the restaurant. And that's when we trained in the 411, retraining in the 411. So we build, you know, the relationship. We retrain it outside the, the the camp because there's a lot of people there. So it kind of pull out the leadership of the park uh, to build the relationship. And one one of, one person in the Mexican team said, like, after we did that a couple of times, he said, "Oh, I know what you're doing. You're doing it like Jesus did. You know, Jesus will spend with a lot of people time with a lot of people, but more time with a few. So you're pulling, you know, the people back and forth, and." What happened that we we uh, we trained him and right away we went back in the camp and shared the gospel. We started sharing the gospel, and that group the same day it multiplied. So we start reaching and we prepare a, a tank, a blue tank, in the middle of the park, and we start baptizing people. That was the the first part, the first day when we start not only training but going to the harvest and modeling for them and doing and you know start releasing authority little by little through the day, you know, different days we were releasing more authority. We pretty much had an easy morning, you know, we, we kind of uh, got up, prayed together, really got our hearts right with the Lord. And um, we were getting there probably by noon, you know, it wasn't a super packed day. You think it would, it mm-hmm. would be a packed day by the fruit we were seeing, yeah. but you know, it was pretty relaxed. You know, we, um, we, we got over there and, uh, and just spent time with people and, and it was just, I think what it was, was people were just so ready. You know, mm-hmm. we were there just ready to, to, to listen and to ask questions about, you know, the push and the pull. You know, with diaspora people, with immigrants, there's always something pushing. There's always something pulling. You know, and it's really interesting to hear that story. In fact, that's a real good tip for talking to immigrants, you know, to get conversation going. You know, what is it that pushed you to this point? And what is it? what is it like? Tell me about it. And man, I tell you what, just the, the emotion that would come out, you know, you could tell they were just traumatized by the journey that just been on and the, and the anxiety of, am I actually going to make it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when people get to the border, they are so depleted and so afraid. 
And uh, they really are prey to cartel all along the way. You know, one thing I learned about it was, you know, as you make that travel, uh, that trip, the organized uh, cartel rings, they will uh, capture people and they'll and they'll kind of herd them and they'll make them pay to get them safely to the border, you know, to, to protect them, so to speak. Mm. And then that's only half of it. Once they're across the border, they have to pay cartel to make it to their destination city many times. And uh, it's a it's a terrible situation and they're very much taken advantage of. Uh, so anyway, hearing those stories uh, was was very eye opening. But, you know, when we began to ask them if we could simply pray for them, they were just so open to that. And uh, of course, we prayed in the name of Jesus and began to tell them our story about a time in our life when we didn't have hope. You know, it might not have looked like that. In fact, I assure you it didn't for me. But but, uh, you know, there's the similarity. You know, what are we doing to escape brokenness? You know, their story is very different than mine, but it's basically the same thing. They're trying to escape brokenness, and their hope is if I can just get to America, everything's going to be fine. And so we just told them, you know, that might be just another example of something you just pulls you right back into brokenness. You know, really, we just need a restored relationship with Jesus, with our Father. And so we began to talk about that, and people were just very open to that. Um, and so to the point of, um, you know, wanting to be baptized. And I think Augie brought up a really good point. There's a high receptivity rate. You know, he joked, he says like 110% want to pray a prayer, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's very few people that are like, no, I just won't pray to receive this. Um, but when you ask them if they want to identify with Jesus in baptism, you know, you're getting maybe, you know, a fraction, you know, definitely, I think we had about 27 people over the course of four full days of ministry. And, you know, initially it was, uh, we, in the beginning, we actually loaded them in a car and took them to a pool up the street. Uh, They actually call this a La Quinta. And this is a compound that has a pool and a place to do barbecue. There's no home in it, but it's basically a rented space where people can have barbecues. So we went to this La Quinta and, uh, and, and we, and we uh, baptized people in the pool. Very beautiful, picturesque place, but it became a bottleneck for uh, baptism. And so uh, Augie spotted this blue barrel in the uh, parking lot that where, where our car was in. And he says, hey, we need to see if we can borrow that barrel. And so we grabbed that barrel, we put it in the, I mean, honestly, in the middle of this uh, town square is really what it was, right out in the open, uh, in front of a casino, actually. And uh, and he says, hey, Will, can you make sure this barrel gets full of water? And I said, on it. So that was my job. I basically made sure the barrel was full of water. And uh, so I, I, while I was babysitting the barrel, I was already... You know, I'll be honest with you. I was like, man, I hope, you know, hope Augie didn't take it too hard if people don't want to, don't want to crawl in that barrel, you know. And so Augie comes, crawl, comes across the street with a, with a line of people behind him, three or four, and he's got a thumbs up in front of his chest. And he's like, yeah, I got some people that want to be baptized. And uh, sure enough, man, they, they walked up and we set up a little stone so they could crawl up into the barrel. And uh, they, they, and I'd seen that before. Honestly, I'd never baptized anyone in a barrel before in, in South Asia, but, but they did that. And uh, that was a remarkable uh, sign and moment for them to, to, to be baptized in that way so publicly. And honestly, it drew interest. I mean, a lot of people came uh, and were like, hey, what's going on here? Can you tell us more? And it led to more gospel sharing and, and honestly, more baptism. Yeah, we care for them. We, we invite them to eat 
the first thing we did is is, is training, start training in the restaurant. So in a nice place, AC, get it out of the, the places where the hard places where they stay in and start training them. And we train in the 411, and that's when the, the first person, when we look at Matthew 28, she said, I'm not I'm not baptized. You know, it says go make disciples, you know, your own nation, baptize them. And it's like, do you want to obey? That that's when we, we took it to the quinta. That was the first one. It's the first modeling before we even go went back to the park. So during the days, you know, we can tell you, you know, the, the, the sequential order, very nice, you know, <laughs> like it. I can kind of mix up, I just want to tell you stories. Yeah, we, we, that was the first time. And we went on the harvest and that day we baptized seven more people uh, in the barrel now. The same day that we baptized one in the, in the pool, I think, I'm kind of confusing because we baptized so many people <laughs> on, that, on that trip. Uh, but we baptized again in the pool a few other times. But we realized, yeah, this is not reproducible. They're not going to be able to do it. And so the barrel was the, the way to reproduce. And actually, it's reproducing right now without us being there. Uh, and with nobody being there, not even the people that we went and trained, the, the Mexican team being there. The people in the in the park, in the plaza, they're still sharing the gospel, making disciples, baptizing. Mm. And one of the funny things uh, at the end, but we can explain all the sequence, the, the meetings that we have. But one of the things, the, the awesome thing, what happened that two days ago or or yesterday, I think, that Will text me, like, is this happening right now? I said, yeah, yeah it's happening right now. Well, uh, you have one of the leaders from the park when we, we heard that, 18 people was were killed there in Reynosa in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And uh, the team, they they said, well, we can't get out. And suddenly I, I received a, a video, and one of the leaders that we trained have the camera, right? She's like moving the camera around and then coaching the other person about Matthew 28, what you say well, before baptism. And so she was being the, the, the lady recording uh, coaching the other person while the other people, the disciples, were baptizing. So it, it went not only the first generation, the Mexican uh, side team, but the the leadership in the plaza really, really well established. And now they are raising other leaders. So we were worried about, okay, it has to be a rapid multiplication of leadership because they're moving around quick. I mean, I learned so much from Augie is, is how he... He adjusted his uh, interaction uh, and his investment uh, with the pace of the leadership development that was happening. He, he very quickly stepped out of the way. Whenever he saw people taking ownership, he immediately stepped out of the way and let that happen. He moved from uh, model assisting and watching very rapidly. And it was, uh, it was truly awesome for me. I've, I've never seen leadership development happen so rapidly in a five-day period, never. And so the progression would be, we got out there praying for people, listening to their stories, um, sharing the gospel, baptizing them. And, and so we're modeling all of this. Then he, uh, the people, so he's filtering with baptism is what he's doing. And he's saying, okay, these guys were baptized. I'm going to go ahead and invest in them in a 411. So he pulls them away to the restaurant, right? That's where the restaurant comes in. And it's kind of a quiet place. And uh, he's doing 411 with them. And uh, it was it was amazing to watch. They actually got up in the restaurant and started started sharing with people in the booths in the restaurant. 
right. Uh, they stood right up and began to do that. And uh, so we go back to the camp. And uh, and so now instead of me and Augie and our team sharing the gospel and they're just watching, we're watching them. We're watching them walk around uh, among their tent mates uh, in this tent village in the middle of the plaza. And uh, they're sharing. And so they can turn right around if they get stuck and ask Augie or me any questions. And uh, we're there just there to watch and assist. And um, and so when when they were ready to be baptized, when these new believers, um, you know, now uh, these new believers are baptizing. But not only that, uh, authority was being released to the person who was just baptized. It got to the point where um, in our evangelism, we were talking about the uh, authority to baptize. And so most of the baptizers were still dripping uh, from from their baptism. You know, just kind of so we probably had, you know, seventh, eighth generation baptism going on. That was just amazing to watch. And and then we realized, listen, we've got, you know, uh, you know, quite a few believers here. We need to get these guys together and talk about how to form his church. And so we sat out in the grass and we broke up into I think it was four or five different groups and basically did kind of a, a three thirds model. You know, uh, went through seven commands, not all seven, but a few of them. And they did all the functions of a church. So they were feeling equipped to go back into their tent village. Well, that night um, we got a, a text from them um, where they had just they had a, a church meeting. It was just this long uh, evening prayer meeting. I think it was nine, 10 o'clock at night. And the singing was fantastic. I mean, they were singing loud and proud. You know, I'm sure that whole tent village heard them singing. And it was just uh, really, really good. You know, so we go back after that, and, and obviously you're going to run into, you know, some questions, some problems. And so uh, Augie had the idea of actually doing what I would consider a mid-level. You know, we actually went to somebody's office who works there in town, and that's where they made food for us. It was really fun. It was a classic mid-level. You know, we had some fun. Uh, they, they basically uh, told us the questions they had, and we only offered the tools that addressed the questions they had. You know, it wasn't like a four fields intensive where we kind of have an agenda. We're listening for the problems they're facing, and we're only applying the tools that are needed. And just to sit and watch Augie walk through that progression, I mean, he doesn't give himself enough credit when it comes to be able to go through the sequence. But his ability to pivot and respond to the need of the disciple was was truly remarkable. And I'll say another best practice was would be uh, to start these these WhatsApp chats are so fun. You know, if you label a WhatsApp chat and you and you uh, invite a lot of people, uh, it creates a window into what's going on here. You know, and uh, it really got a lot of buy in and a lot of prayer support. And um, it, it was a really good tool for that whole pro- process. And one one time, this this guy Genaro, he was new baptized, uh, and he brought somebody else. And like, what is this guy doing here? You know, like, he's not one of the leaders. And he's like, okay, well, he came, you know, people will, will jump, and a lot of kids will jump too when, when we say there is food. So we, we said, okay, let's, let's meet in the other side of the park so we can really, really focus on the leadership. And Juan, uh, at the end, you know, he, he started participating, asking really, really great questions. The guy that was invited, that uh, I didn't see it for the first three days, and then he jumped with the leaders. One that not only uh, repented when he was there in the leadership meetings, if not, uh, 
not only that, but he started asking about marriage. He said, well, I want to do things right. So can I get married? You know, how, how can I get married? And then, so we explained to him and then we organized uh, the wedding. But when we got to the camp, another lady was just baptized the day before. She heard uh, Juan talking about the wedding, like, I want to fix my life too. I want to get married too. That, that was amazing to see. But the most amazing thing was the ownership of the people in the camp. They say, we want to get an hour later, uh, one, an hour early to organize all, all this. So it, it comes beautiful. So they have a, a great uh, wedding. Not because we're here, we're just going to do it like a bad job. We're going to do it right. And then they start searching for a dress. And they start searching for rings. So they got it like perfect. You know, it's like, it looked like we've been organizing that for, for a couple of months, you know, the wedding. And yesterday... Juan that got married that was pulled in the leadership without even having any experience texts me and he said, I'm working with Genaro. Genaro was the one that invited him and we sharing the gospel and we start doing the work together. So God has a purpose. You know, I was thinking like, who's this person? And now it's part of the leadership team up with another leader that was coach how to baptize the other day. And now they're doing the work in the plaza. So guys raising leadership is like, okay, now we have generation leadership from the people that we that we saw being raised. Now it's another generation coming up. So it's like, wow, God, this is amazing. And this is in the, in the middle of they're waiting to to cross their very hot there in, in the tents and the mosquitoes are crazy. They can't even sleep. They get up uh, early in the morning to pray. They pray at night. They have a, at least a, a couple of meetings uh, without us, without anybody. They're, they're meeting that they and doing three thirds right now. So God is doing the work, definitely. We never thought we're going to go. We're going to follow up. We just went like, we're going to follow up with two people, see what happened. And suddenly we have generational leadership developing there in the, in the tents. And one, one of the things... That, that we see now is because of the fast release. The people in the in the camp they 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 releasing super fast too. So they learn that, and as soon as they learn it, they okay. This is what we have to do. This is what have been model these days for us. So now they're doing it too. They they don't have any question like these people are ready to lead or no no no. They're just like okay. First you share the gospel, baptize the people that believe, and then uh, you start discipling. And that's your disciple. You don't bring it to me. You, that's your disciple. You take care of the disciple. And it's passing on fast now that we are completely out of the way now. Feeney, I like what you said about going in with a plan and how that helps to, to, to be able to make that pivot and not just be focused on one aspect of the core missionary task. And, and actually, we've been thinking a lot about how, you know, if you if you only know one aspect, that can be very detrimental to local ownership. Um, I know this story's gotten around enough to where I've had a number of people say, hey, I want to go, I want to go, you know, plug me in. You know, they want, and they're thinking in terms of a short-term trip. And the, the problem is not the length of the trip. I mean, we were on a short-term trip. It's, it's, it's not the length. It's, it's what you're able to do. Do you understand biblically, you know, the pattern set by Paul and Jesus for releasing local ownership? 
if, if you don't understand that, you're going to create dependency. You're going to actually have a diminishing influence on the very people you're called to make disciples among. You've got to have that pathway. And so we find ourselves in the difficult position of, you know, we want to welcome people into it. We want to point them in the right direction for sure. But more so, we want to point them into a process, you know, really dig into Scripture, get around people who are seeing this uh, core missionary task. They're seeing the pathway toward uh, local ownership uh, that, 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 you know, is, you know, multiplying disciples in churches and, and leadership development. And uh, when you have that, when you have that awareness, you're able to make those adjustments along the way. When you understand the idea of model assisting, watching, and then leaving that work in the hands of local ownership, uh, great things can happen in a, in a, in a short amount of time. And, and I'll say, I mean, my overall uh, emotional feeling toward it is just incredibly humbled. I mean, you know, we walked into that place and first of all, you know, our first stop, our scouting trip was just getting to know the local church partners. You know, this is happening in their backyard and they, you know, these are loving, wonderful people. You know, they want to do something, you know, they want to respond to this and they are in many ways. Sometimes it's good to have, uh, you know, people come in and, and help with that. And we just came to, to, to be a servant to the body of Christ there. And so we, we received a great welcome from the local churches in the area of McAllen and uh, we're invited to continue. We have a partnership with them, which I think is great. And so they're able to serve us through the support of their local church and we're able to serve them as well. Um, so we have that partnership, but so much work has already been done. But I think what's so remarkable is when you see the work progress like that, you just realize this is God's mission. And he is he's doing something in the hearts of these people. And there's something about this diaspora phenomenon globally, this migration phenomenon, that it prepares the heart in, in, in ways that few other things do. Uh, when people are on the move, you know, do we believe that God is really orchestrating some of the circumstances that compels people to do that? And could it be that he does, he orchestrates that for his glory? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. And I just wonder, I'm kind of becoming obsessed with this, with this idea of how do we, how, how does the body of Christ give a proportional response to the, to the uh, flow of migration into our country, not just along the border, but in every area, you know, with, with, uh, with, international students, with economic immigrants, with refugees of all different kinds, you know, how do, how does the body of Christ become a, a welcoming, a welcoming kingdom, if you will, you know, into the kingdom of God? And uh, so, so that's really the question. And it seemed like this border crisis right on our doorstep seemed like a real great springboard into answering that question, no matter what the reason is for migration. And some of the principles we're learning and some of the things we're seeing here, I think, are going to transfer into, into all other diaspora strategy. Uh, we could get into some of that at a later time, mm-hmm. but I think it's a really great springboard for, uh, you know, mobilizing teams to, uh, to address this opportunity we have right here in our, in our country. One, one of the things that I will, I will do, even if you want to reach in on the border, you can reach out the, your neighborhood, you can see, okay, what are the Spanish speakers in my neighborhood, in my, around me? And I start there. And definitely we, we see the need of raising up Spanish speaker labels in the U.S. And these people are coming to the other side. 
uh, one of the person that I that we reach uh, baptize him and then start doing uh, the the Mexican team start doing discipleship in the side right away she got um, she was allowed to go to enter the U.S. and what I did uh, I asked where she was going and she said Austin Texas and I get to know people that are doing the work there so I connected with the Spanish speaking team in Austin Texas but most of the places in the U.S. we don't have a Spanish speaking team. It's like very few. So, and maybe you say, okay, I'm, I don't speak Spanish. Well, if they have kids in the family, the kids speak Spanish. So try to go there. The teams can go there, start trying to build, build relationships, trying to raise teams. And if they need help, they, we have a small Spanish-speaking team in, in the U.S. that we can help. But definitely that will prepare the way for the people that are going back in the other side. Uh, they go go I mean go to to the US to be received by a by a team already formed with the same vision, the same focus, same tools that they can have a purpose when they come back. Not only okay, I'm gonna go to work, but I'm gonna go work go to work and, and do ministry. That's the most important thing. So yeah, people can start working where, where they are right there and get ready. And then if God call them to the border, go to the border, if God call them to uh, another country, you know, Latin America or whatever, they, they have the experience because they've been doing it in their own neighborhood. That's, that's what I recommend to start. So, you know, what we really need now is we need some uh, people willing to do some midterm commitments in the, in, in the area. And I say midterm because, you know, in a short time, we were able to find local ownership, but also localized ownership. And what I mean by that was, there were people that are Spanish speakers from these towns that understood MPL principles that are now able to, that they were able to form into teams because of what Augie and I were able to encourage them to do that. And so they can uh, provide the coaching uh, for the local ownership, the actual immigrants that are rotating through these camps. And so if we could get some people uh, that would commit to some th two, three, four, five-month commitments, maybe a semester, if it's a college student, a gap semester type thing, uh, that, that comes in, maybe they come out of a residency somewhere or they, they come in with, with some knowledge, that would be super powerful uh, to help uh, establish some localized ownership of NPL teams um, along the border. And if, if anyone wants to know more about that, we have, we've, pro, there's, there's, well, there's 12 funnels uh, where immigration happens across the 2,000 plus miles of border. And, uh, and they all have sister cities. And uh, we've prioritized five of those where we'd like to mobilize some midterm MPL focused teams into those areas. We've already, we've already mobilized one. And that's amazing. Uh, uh, a guy went down there just yesterday. That's really exciting. But those those three month commitments would be great. Longer term commitments would be great as well. But we really want to build a strategy where we have communication between uh, what's going on in the border and actually what's happening in these landing cities. Going back to that first scouting trip, we went down to a shelter in Laredo and uh, just to honestly, just to see what God's doing, to see the environment, to get insight. And uh, But obviously we're praying for people and we shared the gospel with a um, Argentinian uh, man, really tall guy, and uh, and he's a soccer player actually. Uh, but anyway, he we prayed we we prayed with him. He prayed he prayed to receive Christ and actually asked to be baptized. And so we kept up with him after we left as well. 
And uh, turns out just last week, um, I was on my way to Dallas uh, for a meeting and I got a WhatsApp message from him when I was on my way to Dallas saying, I finally made it across the board. I had my, I had my hearing. They, um, they've let me cross and I'm on my way to Dallas. So uh, I met Julio. Julio called and let me know. Let me know he was on his way to Dallas. And so on the last day of my trip, I was having a hard time connecting with him. It turns out he was going to be flying to Florida. He was uh, going to be at the gate next to mine an hour before me, uh, flying to Florida. So God brought us together. Oh, he funneled word. us together at the gate at the airport. And so I took him out for a hamburger and was able to process what he had gone through. And he is just really grateful. He just said, you know, God brought you to me. He says, I put all my hope in, in getting into America, but now I have a relationship with Jesus mm. and I want to grow in that. Do you know anyone down in Florida you can connect me with? And so that is the immigration story. That is the diaspora story. How do you meet people in a time of need and then connect them with the body of Christ where they're going to land? Mm. And it's more than that. Amen. You know, these people are reaching back to their homeland and telling them about what God did in the midst of their journey. Thanks to Feeney at the On The Road podcast for making that interview available. I'll post a link to his uh, podcast and website at movements.net. Thanks for listening. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.